on Friday, Paul messaged me and he said, oh, I'm on worship, so do you know what you're preaching on? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> It'll probably be quite late tomorrow when I do. It was quite late last night when I went to bed, content with a reworked message that I shared with the people last Sunday in Ukraine. And then in the earlier hours of this morning, while I was desperately wanting to go back to sleep, other things came. And as we're talking about this need for people to encounter God, that he's here in this place, um, you know, you'll have heard elements of this before. I talk about the Holy Spirit and the need for him. Because wherever you go and whomever you're with, one thing you always see is that we need him more and more. Whether it's our very first encounter, whether we've never known the um, increased sense of his power, increased sense of being with God that he brings, um, a sense of, of conviction. You know, the Holy Spirit, to be full of the Holy Spirit is to become like Jesus. And so some people will associate the Holy Spirit with a certain element of God. So the Holy Spirit may be an it to them. So he is an anointing. He is a gifting. Um, that is part of his nature. He's what he brings when he comes. But he's more than that. To some, he's the sense of conviction, the guide, the one that, you know, to others, he's the one who brings us into the place of, of intimacy. But all of these things are who he is and what he wants you to experience. And to summarize it just in one thing, having the Holy Spirit, knowing him more, gives you an increased awareness that God is in this place. Very simply, that God is here. And the, le the less that you know him, the less it's, it's kind of, well, I've accepted Jesus and I'm thankful that he's died for me and one day I'll get to heaven and I'll struggle along the way, the less you're going to walk daily understanding God is here. God is with me. Whether that's in your own time, you know, with the Bible, in prayer. People read the Bible cover to cover for years and never get close to Jesus. You know, the activity by itself doesn't do the job. But when the Holy Spirit is upon you and you're reading the scriptures, and, it, and the same verse comes alive in a whole new way. Wow, God is in this place with me. Or maybe you're with someone else and you suddenly sense, instead of looking at them in an earthly sense, and seeing all their shortcomings and what they don't have on the outside, you suddenly start to recognize, wow, God is on them. Wow, God has a plan for them. God is going to touch and change this person because the Holy Spirit within you is enabling you to recognize Christ in someone else. So maybe like the time we were having then in worship and we're a corporate body. And maybe you've had times, most people have, where you're there in church and people are worshiping, and people are talking about how great they feel, about weight being lifted, burdens being taken, the sense of peace. And you're sitting there or standing there, and you feel like there's absolutely nothing different than when you came in. And your logical mind says, uh, mm, it's a bit of a weird Pentecostal thing then. Just these believers, they're hoping to find something to make their life better, so they're inventing these emotions. And that's what we think logically, rather than realizing it's because the Holy Spirit within them is taking them into a spiritual realm, even though it's just a building with walls, but they're entering into a spiritual realm because the Holy Spirit is taking them into a special place of worship. And so the Holy Spirit is he's a person. I know we've said this before, but to really visualize him as that, to realize 
To receive him is to receive God in you and upon you. Not just the activity, not just so you can minister, so you can do things. And when we minister, when we, sorry, receive him, even if whether we're ministering to others or we're not, that we would just have this sense of awe that God is in this place. You know, growing up in our culture, um, talking about God, I mean, Jesus has become a swear word. Uh, even within, as Christians, we can talk so casually about him and we delight that we can call him friend. We delight that the Bible says you can boldly approach God. You can go as a child of God and say, I want to go into heaven and speak to God and see you in the spirit. But he's still God. You know, he's still the awesome one that created the heavens and the earth that makes everything tick. And so easily we lose sight of, wow, God is in this place. This is God. Because the Holy Spirit, you know, maybe we have an encounter, maybe we have a moment, but we don't continually stay in his presence. We filter out and we fall back into this. Well, I've got my Christian faith. I'll go to heaven one day. And he wants to live, us to live full. So God reminded me of uh, this scripture now, you bear with me, I'm kind of using it, as I've heard others do, as an allegory. So, obviously, to be careful how far we push it doesn't mean it's exactly how uh, the author initially wanted to. But, yeah, it's that one from Ezekiel, chapter 47, and uh, where it talks about the river of God, uh, or the river flowing from the temple. I'm calling it the river of God. Um, so, let me just uh, get it. And... Um, you know, we know Ezekiel is uh, one of those fascinating books, uh, one of those where you feel like the visions are changing time between future, something that's probably already occurred, you know, different things. People will take place them in different places, but I'm just really looking at the nature of God within the text and what he does and what he brings. So Ezekiel's been given this amazing uh, vision, look into the present, the future, and uh, he's been shown the temple. And, you know, I'm really thinking of the temple in its place as a place where God dwells. You know, the place where God is. Jesus was the temple. We now become the temple. But we know that in the Old Testament they had a building and had the movable tabernacle beforehand, but the place where God dwells. And uh, he writes, says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, and led, led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. 
and there will be many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. And so taking this as a, a, a picture of, of God and what you know, I would call the river of God, more simply the presence of God, even ultimately the person of the Holy Spirit who flows from God. Jesus says, I have to go back to the Father so that we may send the Holy Spirit so all can have what the disciples had and even greater Christ within them. And so out from the place where the temple, the place where God dwells, this river of God and wherever it goes, life happens. Do you feel like wherever you go, life happens within you, around you? You know, this is our privilege as children of God. I know some people think it's, you know, it's about what's to come and we praise God about what's to come. You know, I delight that the resurrection will um, bring about a new body. I shared this, you know, as I, I often do about my son Eli, you know, we pray for him, but we don't know how much he's going to develop his communication, how much we'll talk with him, how much we'll fully understand him. So I delight that there's something, a future guaranteed hope where he and I will have the conversations we never, maybe didn't get to have on this time. But people sometimes just perceive the now and then and await until the meantime. But your inheritance, the Bible says that you were adopted into God's family. And it taken in the context of Roman adoption when it was written, the majority of adoption that happened would be um, a couple, Roman couple, probably fairly wealthy, that were unable to have their own children and wanted their name and their inheritance to be passed on to someone else. They didn't just want it to disappear and go wherever. You know, in the, in the Jewish custom, it would go to family, and so they didn't have the same procedures. But for Roman, it says they needed to have someone that they would pass it on to. And so they would adopt usually a young man or a boy, and as they adopted him, he would be marked with their name, and that was the guarantee that he would receive the inheritance. And the specialness about it was if you had a natural child as a Roman civilian, you could, if you wanted to, disown them. If you felt that they appalled your name, if you felt that they would not take your name on with integrity, that they would spoil what you have worked for, if they didn't, you felt deserved to be part of you, you could actually disown them. But if you adopted someone, you couldn't do that. You couldn't ever change your mind. You couldn't ever say, well, now, you know what? I made a mistake. They're not having my inheritance. So when it says God adopted us, it says a irreversible not to be a mistake that says you inherit what is mine. And told that we're to conform to the likeness of Jesus. We're to become like him. So he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are to look like Jesus in this world, even though we know Satan in the world will throw its worst at us, and we see that in our own lives and all around us. We are meant to live like Christ as children of God, and Ephesians says that we have all the heavenly spiritual blessings available to us as his children. So we should live as people that are always full of life and always administer life. That is the ultimate abundant life that Jesus said, and yet for so many of us, we feel like we're living so far short of that missing so much and it's all in our relationship with the Holy Spirit and our filling of the Holy Spirit to the extent with which you continually filled with him and his presence is the extent to which life will come to you and will flow through you this picture that we have in of the river in Ezekiel 
And, um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm taking the picture, so I don't want to press it too far. But when I think about ankle deep, I think about people on holiday at the beach and those ones that are only willing to go to the edge. Um, it's not always the children, it's sometimes the adults. And they kind of do it and they might do the little jumping game. And it's like, yeah, that's enough. Uh, for some, it's like, right, if I go any more, there's a danger that a splash could touch my hair, which I just brushed. So, you know, that's it. Or, you know, something like, oh, maybe, you know, the current will get me or whatever it is. And so they just go ankle deep. They want a taste of it. They want to get their feet wet, but they want to make sure they have maximum control of their lives. And, you know, so many people uh, live like this. We want to get our feet wet in God. We want enough of God to feel like we're saved, to feel like he loves us, to feel like we know where we're going. But we also want to maintain enough control of our lives. We want enough movement, as it were, that we don't want to go any deeper into God because what might it cost? As I mentioned before, you know, our earthly mindedness that wants to battle with us, wants us to see the cost, wants us to think about what we might miss out on, what we could lose. Whereas a faith-based, heavenly mind in us wants to think about what we might gain, what may become ours and his if we are willing to go further. And so ankle deep, this sense of, I'll pursue God a little bit, I'll give you a little bit so that I feel like I'm, I'm saved, but really I want to keep as much control of my life. And then it moves on to, I'm going to take the two together, knee deep and waist deep. And these positions where you start to, you lose a little bit more of control, but you get a little bit more wet. You're enjoying a little bit more of the weather, but you have a little bit less control over your emotions. But you still feel like, okay, you see the people who go up to like a little bit further, maybe the waist. And then either because the water's too cold or because you know, they're unsure about swimming or whatever it's like. You see the people, right? That's enough. I'm not going any further. I don't want to go into the water any further. And for some people with the life in the Holy Spirit, and because we miss that all of the things that the Holy Spirit brings are all a part of his nature, we kind of do a pick and mix thing with the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, those of you who've been to the cinema and you've paid for pick and mix, you do it once and never again. The next time you're in Asda for Haribo and Maltesers. Um, and you got all these different pick and mix things, you know, you put them on. And, and people can be like that. And, you know, the ones I'd like, I have to think, oh, I really like the Blue Dolphin suite, that one. But I also know it's that heavy, it's probably like 50p in one suite. So how many can I put in? And people can be like that with the Holy Spirit. So for some, they are all about gifting, anointing, spiritual gifts, prophecy, laying the hands, very evangelistic. And so they seek this and they move in it and God responds to their request. He's gracious and he moves with them. But maybe when it comes to the idea that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction, you know, and that, that, that word sin that I want to keep away from, you know, they kind of not so much want to embrace the Holy Spirit. They don't want to take that, the idea of being completely pure and completely holy. No, I'm, I want to pray from the front of the church. I want to make my YouTube channel showing you all the best prophetic voices. I want to minister for the sick. I want to teach. And genuinely, it's their heart to do so. But there's another element. And, you know, they want to keep a bit of control over their lifestyle, a bit of control over what they can give. Or give but there's also people who are, you know, other than that, and I think these are the, probably the two most things about the Holy Spirit that people find controversial. I think most people 
accept and are happy with the idea of the Holy Spirit being given to guide us, to teach us God's truth, that he helps bring us into a closer relationship than Jesus. But things that we can be uncomfortable with, particularly sin. And then the other aspect is those that would rather remove chapters from the Bible where Paul says, I wish you would eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so they'll say, oh, but it's okay because, look, Paul says that God gives gifts however he wants, and I've been given a gift of hospitality, so I I'm not, don't need anything else. I've got this gift. And he says, yeah, but he says, pursue eagerly. Pursue with everything you have the gift of prophecy because it is, it is of most benefit to the church. You know, he says, I wish you all would speak in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. We say, ah, oh, no, you see, that's not a gift for me because, you know, I've got this one and God only gives one here and one there. God responds to your desire as well in his sovereignty. He also combines, as we know, with his, his will. And so this knee-deep, waist-deep where I want to choose part of what I think the Holy Spirit means. So maybe some people, they grasp the idea that I'm meant to be pure. I'm meant to be holy. I'm meant to be at one with Jesus. And so they seek the Holy Spirit and they read those scriptures and they ask him. But then when it comes to some of the, the things to do with giftings and the power and the idea that as children of God we should see miracles, that's when the skin curls and they get uncomfortable. But it's the same Holy Spirit. That's what he brings. So he brings conviction, he brings guidance, he brings power, he brings giftings. All of these things, the scriptures tell, are in the nature of who he is and what he brings. And so those who really want to get to the stage where we can swim in this, where the water submerges it, where I'm so full of the presence of the Holy Spirit, I'm so going in the river of God, where he leads, flowing with it, are those that want to receive Ask for and receive everything that the Holy Spirit is. That's purity. That's being able to say, God, you show me what sin is in my life and I'm going to get rid of it, however hard it is. It's those who say, you want me to be someone who prays and who prophesies? Then however hard that is for me, however anxious that makes me, if it's you, I want to do it. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually brings intimacy you know, so many people's relationship with the Father, God, is so like, it's like their 21st best relationship in their life. You know, they've got a load of other ones. It's not meant to be like that. It's meant to be the most intimate, the most deep. The blessing of marriage is meant to be the most intimate and deep human relationship, and yet ultimately it functions as a picture of Christ and his bride. You know, the very most powerful thing is us and our Father God, us and our Savior Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit that lifts that. And so s swimming in the river and to be a little less, I guess, uh, charismatic language, to just be receiving all that the Holy Spirit is, is to have deep intimacy with God, a deep sense of conviction to sin, a deep awareness that God is in this place. And not because of how I feel, but because of who he is. I can lay hands on the sick, I can prophesy, and I can do all of these things. And so for some, we, we, we do the pick and mix. We choose. Um, we take the bits that feel most comfortable. You know, I want to assure you that if you've accepted Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says he's given as a seal. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. So if you can say Jesus is Lord, 
you have the Holy Spirit. But the extent to which you know him and receive him is the extent to which you'll be like that river that brings life, full of life, and brings it to all that they come. And to follow on from that, and the extent to which you'll receive the Holy Spirit is the extent to which you desire him. And I remember Heidi Baker, I think Bill Johnson, uh, and others at once when I was a younger believer, I think you've heard me say this before, saying, you can have as much of God as you want. And in my youthful, zealous ways, I was like, I do not like that sentence. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, fully Calvinistic kind of place that I came from. Like, God will decide how much of God I get. That is God's right. God can decide it. And he can give me however much of him he wants. And, um, but yet, I still understood that Heidi and Bill were people that knew God better than I did. And so, you know, you try and live and learn. And as you, you see and you, you more you read that even in God's sovereignty... He is created in such a way that our hunger, our thirst, our desire will be a key component to how much we have him and know him. That doesn't mean he, if he want, you know, he does the occasional surprise, merciful, hits someone from absolutely nowhere and bowls them over and that happens. But generally amongst his children, the desire to which we seek him, we thirst for him. We genuinely say, Jesus, I want you. Holy Spirit, I don't just want an it anointing in the church service, though if that's what you're offering, I'm taking it. But I want you, because you will bring me intimately with God. You will teach me everything that it is to be a child of God. You will be the one that leads me to live like Jesus in this world, full of peace, full of hope, full of assurance in the worst of all situations. I mean, imagine having to live knowing that you're living to die. Now, I know in a sense, you know, we we all know that, but knowing that In a time in your young adulthood, you're going to be crucified and you're going to be butchered to bits and that's what you're ultimately here for. And yet, he could live as such peace. He could live such closeness with God. That amazing bit when Lazarus is sick, you know, he's going to die. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay, we'll come in a bit. You know, don't worry, I'm having a bit of chill time with my disciples. And they think, oh, he's just asleep. No, the guy's dying. He's going to die, but so that you'll understand who I am, what's going on. We'll go a little bit late to the party and four days dead. And Jesus raises him up. But he's complete peace in that moment. And as we see um, right the way through, um, why? Because he's full of the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes. We're told after his time in the wilderness, he's not eating, he's praying, it's hot, it's difficult. And what does it say? He came down full of the power of of the Holy Spirit. And so that's how he lives. And as children of God, as people are to be like Jesus. And so how hungry and thirsty do you want to be? In John 7, uh, at the great feast, Jesus says, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him, that's you, were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I often thank God that I live in the day after Pentecost. Uh, I get to live in the day where I get to receive Jesus living in me as his Holy Spirit. Anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, 
out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That picture from Ezekiel of the river flowing and bringing life to everything, the peace that is in that water, the life that that water brings. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, you'll have it. And if we believe, as I'm sure people do, the Bible is true, if we believe God's word is true, then we can't also believe that I don't get God because God must prefer the other people because he's got bigger ministries for them. I'm just someone who comes and sits down, has a little bit of a good time singing songs and then goes home and wishes I knew Jesus more because that's not compatible with his word. So if you believe that the author of the Bible tells the truth, then you believe that he wants to fill you full of his spirit so that you live with peace, joy, and hope and you're able to minister to others. That's what his word says. That's his invitation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We know God will take care of what God does. So when people take the thing about the 1 Corinthians passage 12 and, you, you know, is everyone an apostle? Is everyone this? Is everyone that? God will take care of God's business and will do it well. But in that scripture, what we're given is to eagerly desire his spirit, to eagerly desire the gifts to eagerly desire to thirst after Jesus, just so you know. So when you're on your own and you're sitting somewhere or you're on a walk or you're standing enjoying God's creation or maybe you're worshipping or you're just resting, you know, lying in bed or maybe you've got a newborn baby and you're just there lying and you can't quite get to sleep because you have to be there, that you can be in that moment aware God is in this place and I can know him. And I can be in love with him. Not just sing a song that I love him, but he's my 21st favorite person in the world, in the universe. But I can be truly in love with him. Because that's his design, but it's about your hunger and how much. Do you want a hunger like the psalmist, Psalm 42, uh, the setting for that beautiful song, As the Deer Pants for Water. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Deer after a chase has to find drink or it will die. You know, if it's managed to survive the chase, it's got away from the hunter. But it's, I have to have my drink. I have to know. This is a language that the psalmist is using to picture how he wants us to come before God. You know, the world will throw so many other attractions, but at the end of the day, really think, are they worth it? As Peter said, where, where would I go? Jesus said, are you going to go away? Where would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And yet we want to so easily turn elsewhere. I said I want to pray for you again at the end, and I'm going to do that. I just want to finish with one story, my favorite story. Not everyone will have heard it before. I'm sure many of you have. It's my favorite one to tell about the children of Mozambique. And um, uh, 2010, Charlotte and I went to Mozambique for three weeks. And, um, you know, because we'd read so much about Heidi, we'd heard her and her husband preach and, and, and the work that they did. And uh, so we wanted to see it, see whether we wanted to pursue that um, further. And so, and so we went, and while we were there, I was reading Heidi's book, Compelled by Love, as I probably do more any other book in the Bi other than the Bible. And it's basically just, she teaches through the Beatitudes from seeing what Jesus has done in Mozambique. 
And so she writes about the time in the beginning when they were first in Mozambique in 1995. Um, her and husband went because they read a report in a magazine that said by however they measured it that Mozambique was the poorest nation in the world. And so they said, well, let's see whether the gospel works there. So we're going to go and prove that the gospel works in the most rejected nation in the world. They eventually get there. And um, they end up with a group of children that orphans that nobody wants. The government are like, what can we do with these? They're, you know, five and six, but they're street thieves. They're beggars. You know, they're willing to do pretty terrible things at a young age just to scrap and survive and live because nobody has wanted them and nobody wants them. So Heidi says, we'll take them. And to start with, it's, it's good. They take them. God ministers. The Holy Spirit comes. They know what to encounter the Holy Spirit because they completely change. They don't want to steal anymore. They don't want to rob people. They don't want to hurt people. They become worshippers. They become people who, they realize their own sin at five and six years of age. You know, sometimes we don't have a big enough vision for our children of what they can be if they would encounter the Holy Spirit. They come under conviction. They minister, they change, and they find Jesus. And, and God is working and working through. And then one day, the government turn up. They can't understand this. They don't understand what's going on. Why are these children worshiping Jesus? Who is this couple? They decide they must be spies. They don't grasp that they're just a Christian missionary couple wanting to love their children. So they think they must be spies. So they come to Roland Hardy say, you've got 24 hours to get out from this spot and you've just got to go. So they go, they take some of the children with them, but a group of, I can't remember the numbers, I'm going to say 80 to 100 children are left in this home. Now, when Heidi and Roland arrived, these children had no food, they had no clothes, they had no nothing. They were just left to scrap and survive. Since they've come, because of the grace of God and the way this works, they've had received clothes, they've had food, they've had education, in addition to the spiritual input that they've had. The government turn up, find these children, and they say, look, I know you've sort of received these things, so look, we're willing to continue to provide food for you. We're going to, we're going to give you education. We're going to continue to look after you. They obviously saw that these children had changed, so maybe we can handle them now. You know, they're not so bad that we can't touch them. You know, we'll, we'll do these things for you, and we'll look after you. But one condition, you have to stop worshipping this Jesus. You can't talk about this Jesus. You can't praise this Jesus. If you stop that, we'll look after this home. We'll maintain it. We'll make sure you have everything. But these children had truly been filled with the Holy Spirit and encountered them. So they said, no, that's not happening. And at five, six-year-olds set off, left the place themselves, walked down the road to head into the capital city. And we've been along the road because we went to that particular place, your dirt road, probably without shoes, in the heat of an African day. It says they went singing, dancing, clapping, and worshiping Jesus for 20 miles to try and find the city center so that they could maybe find where Roland and Heidi were, who'd gone into an office block in the city center, I mean, an office block with hundreds of children crammed in, and God would obviously do new and miraculous things and would eventually give them much favor with the government, change the situation around. And now if you go, you see the big children's homes. You see, you know, it 20-plus years later now. But they chose children of five and six not to take a maintenance, they probably didn't even believe them anyway, but take the offer that was given because they'd encountered the Holy Spirit. They'd known what it was to really receive life and so they were gonna try and find it, whatever 
the cost was. Heavenly minded, they see opportunity. Earthly minded, see the cost. Anyway, fast forward, it's, it's now 2010, so we're reading this story again. Charlotte and I are in the worship service in the evening, and the guy says, oh, what I'd like today, I'd like the people who were with us in the very beginning, back in 95, those who were with us in the, in the other home, the one we had to leave, we had to walk, to stand up. And around us stood up a few people that were now 19, 20, 21 years of age. Some were leading worship. Some were leading the hospital ministry to pray for the sick. Others had gone to other parts of Mozambique, planting churches and starting churches. You see, these were people that the world said had nothing. There was no hope. They were mean, meaningful. You know, why would anyone come and what to look up for? Now they were the future church and hope of Mozambique and have continued to be so, and we got to see some of them now as adults. But it all was because they had a moment of choice but because they truly knew Jesus, they truly had encountered the love of God. They were truly filled with the Holy Spirit. They chose the road of life, even though, as far as they knew, it may well be one of great suffering. And now they live today as leaders of the church in Mozambique. And I'm going to offer people the same prayer that we offered at the beginning, which is to be full of the Holy Spirit. But what, it, what I'm praying for you is everything that that entails you know, so if you have a particular theological view and you like some of the Holy Spirit and not the other, he wants you to have all of him. That means I hate sin because it ruins mine and others' lives. It also means I can have deep love with God that is not possible in any other relationship anywhere. It also means I can have power so that when I see the suffering of others and the compassion of Christ comes to me, I can actually do something about it. All of those are who he is. You'll see them all in Jesus, and he wants them to all be a part of you. So as we prayed before, if you would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray just as we did before. Those who stood before, you are allowed to stand again. If you are hungry, you will be filled. Yeah, Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you not only created us, you not only created a world for us, but that you came yourself so that you could actually be with us and that we could join in the intimate family relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we could become like Jesus in this world, full of peace in the most dying of circumstances, full of hope when challenges arise, full of joy in suffering, full of love and power to minister to ourselves and to others. Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I pray everyone would encounter you, Jesus. But Jesus, your word says that the hungry will be filled. Those who thirst will be satisfied. God, as you see these hungry and these thirsty hearts, Lord Jesus, would you pour out your Holy Spirit would you pour on them powerfully now? And God, for those who maybe have encountered your spirit in certain areas, maybe there's some who've always been nervous about spiritual gifts. I pray that their minds and hearts would be open and they would experience a power that would actually bring a new joy to their life, that they would realize that they are good enough to do the things that you did because you said so. 
because you said greater things than these will your followers do. Those who have struggled with sin, those who have difficult lifestyles that have wanted to shy away from the Holy Spirit's conviction, I pray that they would understand it is the greatest thing to happen when you can take sin and bury it and put it away from ever and feel holy and feel pure and feel like a child of God. Love and peace. God, I pray that the people would feel like a river of life, like a river of water where it is fresh and it brings life and they feel light, but they also feel that they are here to minister to others. They are here for such a time as this to bring you into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Paul and the guys to um, come back if that's uh, possible, if you can do the inside out, you know, because that's a, it, the Christ should start from the inside out to know him deeply and desperately for it to overspill on others. And we've pr- prayed gen- generally for everyone, so I'm going to invite anyone who wants me to lay hands on. So another way that we minister while the worship's going on, just invite you to come to the front and I'll just I'll lay hands on you, speak whatever God wants to say, minister to you, and just pray with you uh, that way. So I invite you to, to come forward as we're worshiping. And um, really, guys, I, I know that the time is past 12, but this is the Lord's house. It's for him to do what he wants. So feel free to worship away. You're always free to go down and have a drink. You're not here on compulsion unless... The Spirit is compelling you to receive more than Him, more of Him. And in that case, don't leave until He has done what He wants to do in you. Amen.